Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga and the creator of the Momentum Magic Method, the way to become a confident yoga teacher who seamlessly shares cues and easily creates sequences, whose classes are transformational, not just transactions, who understands anatomy and who shares their passion in a unique and authentic way. Here on the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal growth because having a strong, healthy mindset is such an important piece of being a confident teacher. In addition to the podcast, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. And I've got two more ways you can build your confidence and skill. Join me weekly for my mini masterclass and teaching clinic, a 30-minute teacher-only themed yoga class, followed by a teaching lesson. Just DM me the words masterclass invite. And I'm also excited to tell you about my new invitation-only group called The Empowerment Club, an exclusive community for yoga teachers who want to feel confident and make a bigger impact. Membership is free and includes weekly workshops, private audio lessons, private Facebook group, and special offers on programs. DM me the words Empowerment Club for your application. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, and I am your host, and this is episode 275. I'm recording this on the 28th of December. You will hear this on or after January 1st, 2024. Oh, my goodness. So uh, I am super excited to be here with you today. And, you know, today's episode is going to be kind of a blend of, of different topics for teachers. I did a little research and, you know, was pulling from some different resources, just some common questions that yoga teachers ask. And I thought that at the beginning of this year, it might be good to just kind of dive into some of the details around teaching, because I know that that is, you know, at the forefront of your mind, every time you log in to listen to an episode of mine, it's, you know, probably one of the first things you think about, like, I hope I get some tips that I can put into use in, in my classes. So I definitely wanted to meet you, you know, in that regard. The other thing though, that I wanted to just mention, I mean, of course, here we are at the beginning of the new year, and this is, you know, the energy of goal setting is going to be at the forefront of everybody's mind. And so this means that your classes are probably going to be bigger. You're going to have more questions from students. You're going to have uh, a lot more beginners. And so this is a great opportunity for you to build some new connections, to really be of service and to kind of lean into the essentials of teaching. And so I really encourage you to, especially around the essentials of teaching, to do that unapologetically, you know, to really resist the urge to feel that you need to make things complicated in order to please your students, or you need to make things complicated in order to be quote unquote popular or to get people to come back to your classes. You don't need to do that. <laughs> you know, your students don't need you to offer them complicated things. They will get so much out of essential 
clean and clear teaching. And, you know, that's always been what I have emphasized. And, you know, I've, I've had, you know, just a lot of comments from students that, you know, they really enjoy that, that pace, that attention to detail without being over the top. I mean, again, it's, the main thing is for you to find the lane that feels most authentic to you. It's just that I want to bring up this particular topic because since it is the beginning of the year and classes are going to be bigger, it is an inclination that sometimes teachers have, which is, oh, I need to make things harder or more complicated. And I just want to reassure you that that's definitely not the case. Your students will love your classes, even if you might think, oh, I'm just doing the basic stuff. I mean, remember, put yourself in their shoes. To, to you, it may be basic, but to them, it may not be. And then also put yourself in your shoes as a student. When you go to a class, I'm sure you don't need it to be complicated. You don't need it to be a lot of complex transitions and you can still take the class and feel amazing. And so again, that can be another reframe for this sort of thought is just to put yourself in your own shoes as a yoga student. And, and that hopefully will dispel some of the pressure you might feel to think that you need to make things complicated. Now, of course, because it is the beginning of the year, this is also a time when you as a yoga teacher may have some new and refreshed ideas around what you want to do in this year. And so you know, the first thing that I'll ask you, and I would love to hear from you, so you can always DM me on Instagram at Bare Bones Yoga, is I'd love to know what's your biggest goal for this year? You know, maybe it's the same goal you had last year and you didn't hit it. So that could be it. Or maybe it's that you hit your goal last year and now you have a new goal. So what is your one biggest goal for this year? And, you know, kind of along with that, a, a related question is if that's your biggest goal, What's stopping you from having it right now? You know, of course, built into having a goal is the fact that we don't have it, right? But the, the essential question that we want to ask ourselves is why don't we have it? And this is a little bit of an energetic question as well as a question on the level of practicality. It, it really comes from the study of neurolinguistic programming or NLP. And it's part of a framework within the NLP world called the well-formed outcome. I've talked about this on past episodes and I actually take yoga teachers through a goal setting process that's based in this NLP based framework called the well-formed outcome. And if you want to go through this process, it's only about a 15 minute conversation. I can take you through it. So you can just DM me on Instagram and let me know you want to do it. We can just have a quick call. It's been really great for me around goal setting because, and let me just also just take a little quick side note. So NLP is the study of how our mind works and, and in particular, how our beliefs and our languaging affects our behavior. Uh, it's a little different than neuroscience, but it is a brain-based um, uh, study or framework. Um, and it's really very much focused on how what we say and what we believe affects how we live and how we express ourselves. And especially as it relates to goals, you know, many times we have a goal and there's something that's preventing us from having it right now that exists in the level of 
our mind, meaning beliefs. So for instance, if I am talking to a yoga teacher and they'll say, you know, I really wish that I could have more classes on my schedule, or maybe I'm talking to a teacher who's not teaching yet. They took their 200 hour teacher training and they're sort of languishing in that time after their training is done, not knowing what the next step should be so that they can teach. So in either of those cases, I might say to the teacher, what's stopping you from having it right now? So in the case of the teacher who is not teaching and they want to teach, that question might sort of give them pause and they might say to me, well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I don't really know what steps to take to find a teaching opportunity. And, you know, even if I found a teaching opportunity, I'm not sure I feel ready. And see, so that becomes the real nugget. The, the fact that she's saying, I don't feel ready, that is a belief based fear really. And so in this case, we would want to work on understanding that fear a little bit more, because even if she has an opportunity to teach, chances are that fear that I'm not ready might prevent her from taking on that opportunity. Or more importantly, it might stop her from actually trying to find a teaching gig. And I have a lot of teachers I talk to that are in that scenario where they've taken their 200 hour, they're too nervous and fearful to put themselves out there. And so it's not even really that they don't know what to do to find a teaching opportunity. They're too afraid to teach. And so that would be an example of really needing to ask yourself, what is stopping you from having it right now? And when you answer that question, that becomes the driving force that you want to solve for when you go out there and look for a training program or a teacher to work with, a mentor, things like that. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because one of the things when I looked back at 2023, one of the things that I learned by, by just analyzing the teachers that I worked with in my program in terms of where were they at when they came to me? Where were they at when they were done working with me? What were some of the shifts they experienced? Across the board, all the teachers I worked with, worked with in my program experienced a shift in their confidence. And they were more confident when they ended working with me in the 90-day program compared to when they started. And the other thing that I noticed is they all wanted greater confidence. They were all desiring that shift in their way of being. And it was even more that that was the shift they were desiring over things like learning how to share clearer cues, understanding more about anatomy and how to share that in their cues, um, getting more teaching opportunities, you know, wanting faster and easier ways to build a sequence. It really was more around the feeling. And the other thing that I noticed is that it didn't matter how many hours of training they had. I had teachers coming to me that were 200 hour level, 300 hour level, 500 hour level, and they all were looking for the same shift in their way of being. And so this allowed me to see at a macro level, this trend. And I, I think it bears itself out even more so in my mind because it wasn't just the teachers I worked with in my program that were looking for more confidence. It was every single teacher I talked to, including teachers who I talked to about enrolling who didn't enroll, or teachers I was just having a conversation with on social media 
uh, that were also looking for more confidence. So it was a broader trend than I even realized when I actually took a step back and looked at it. And so what I realized by analyzing that information is that the number of hours that you train does not lead to greater confidence. And so it's got to be something else. And the reason that I'm in a really good position to not so much know what that is, but to have experience in, in understanding what that might be is because I've worked with a whole bunch of teachers this year of 2023, now last year. And I've, I've had the opportunity to use a similar process with tweaking along the way in an effort to help them feel more confident. And what I found is that across the board for each yoga teacher that I worked with, the thing that made the most difference in helping them feel more confident wasn't the number of hours they trained. It was their willingness to experiment with different ways of showing up in the classroom, in the studio. And what that really looked like at a ground level was the teacher coming to me that was really nervous about teaching. Um, and so they were over-preparing. Well, we worked together to prepare one sequence and to have her experiment with going out and teaching that sequence regularly. And what she found was that when she taught that sequence more regularly, she had a better expectation about what came, came next in the sequence. So she didn't feel like she was stumbling over her words or stumbling over the sequence as she was teaching it. And so every time she went into the studio and taught that similar sequence, or actually literally the same sequence, she was getting more and more confident because she knew how to do it. And so that was an experiment that she experimented with. She went in for four weeks in a row and used the same sequence. And she found that her confidence grew because she was better at teaching the sequence on week four than on week one. I had another teacher who you know, was changing her sequence on the fly. And it was actually causing her a lot of anxiety because she thought she couldn't spend the time planning for her classes because she just wasn't used to doing that. And then when we talked, we experimented or she experimented with putting a little bit of planning time into her weekly classes. And she found that that allowed her to feel more confident when she went into the studio and taught because she wasn't always having to come up with things on the fly. I had other teachers and a lot of other examples I can share. The whole point of it is that they were all willing to try something different rather than just continuing to show up in the way they were showing up and not getting the result that they wanted, meaning the feeling they wanted. And for so many yoga teachers, the reason they're in this cycle of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting better results and not getting them is because they're operating under this belief system that they have to show up in a particular way. And, you know, you don't have to show up in your classes in any way that is inconsistent with how you want to show up. The only reason you might be doing that is because you think you have to. And I've talked about this over and over again, that there are no yoga police. There is no yoga authority. Yoga Alliance has no boots on the ground. They have no authority over you. The fact that you have X number of hours is basically just an acknowledgement of the hours that you've trained. 
you know, the teachers that I talked to have told me all sorts of weird stories about the kinds of trainings they took, the quality of trainings they took, the, the lack of quality in the anatomy portion of the training. I mean, all of that is, is just evidence that there, the system we have is basically the honor system. So when you go and take a training, it's really up to you to do the due diligence to make sure the training is a quality training. And so that's sort of a separate conversation. The point of it is there's no authority over you as a teacher. So if you're out there teaching and doing something that doesn't feel consistent with how you want to show up, you have the power to take your power back and to do it however you want. Now, I always say, don't go rogue, like we're not doing things willy nilly. There needs to be a rationale behind what you're doing. However, it means that you can take your power back and you can teach in a way that you want. And so this is why empowerment is really my word for 2024, even more than confidence. And that's why I use the word empowerment in my new free monthly membership, the empowerment group, which you can join by just sending me a DM on Instagram with the word empowerment, and I'll send you the invite. This is a private exclusive group just for yoga teachers who are currently teaching classes. And it is a group designed to help you feel empowered. We have a, a private Facebook group. I have weekly master classes and teaching clinics for teachers. I put a lot of content in there on a regular basis. It's an opportunity for you to interact with other teachers who are positively focused and wanting to make a bigger impact. So if you wanna join, the free, it's a free membership. If you want to join this free group, just send me the word empowerment on, uh, on Instagram in my DMs. So that whole idea of empowerment is based on taking your power back because there's so many different ways that teachers leak their power. And it's not power like you want to be powerful over another person. It's that when you're powerful, when you are empowered, you speak more clearly, your feet are solid on the ground, you stand up tall, you radiate from the heart, you speak from your center, you are confident, right? You're, you're able to, you know, hold the space in the class in a way that your students get the, um, get the vibe, get the impression that you know what you're doing. And that's what empowerment looks like as a yoga teacher. You are not empowered as a yoga teacher when you use other people's cues, when you don't invest time in understanding anatomy so you can truly help your students, when you worry about your students that they're going to get hurt in your classes, when you're overly praising your students because really behind the scenes, you really want praise. So you're overly praising them because secretly you're really looking for that or maybe you have people pleasing qualities. You're giving your power away when you're constantly changing your sequence all the time because that's what you think they need in order to continue to like your class. Like there's so many different ways and these are all ways that you dilute your own authentic way of showing up. And so that word empowerment is you know, absolutely going to be infused in all of what I do. And, you know, just one final thought before we get into some of these questions that I'm going to talk about today. If you really want to get a little bit more of an understanding of 
what I learned this past year in working with the teachers that I worked with, especially around this, this concept of the, the confidence that you're looking for, the empowerment that you're looking for is not going to be found in the number of hours that you train. It's more going to be found in your willingness to experiment. I have a 10-minute video that I created about two weeks ago to kind of roll up all of what I learned because I want to share it with you so that you can be empowered with this information and it can drive the choices you make in this year of 2024 around your growth as a teacher. So if you want that video, send me a DM on Instagram and just say empowerment video and I'll send it to you. So for today, I'm going to cover just a couple of different questions. It's it's a little bit of a blend, a smorgasbord of sorts of different questions uh, from yoga teachers. Like I said, I did a little research plus things that people have emailed me about um, over the past few months. So we'll just kind of go through these in no particular order. So the first question is, what are some advanced yoga poses that I can teach in my classes? So this is a little bit of a funny question to me because I always sort of cringe at the word advanced, but you know, let's just kind of look at it through the lens of what are poses that might require a little greater balance, a little greater range of motion. And we can use that as uh, some of the metrics or some of the um, parameters around around what makes a pose a little bit harder. So I always sort of think of joint range of motion as something that absolutely can make a pose harder. So if you're going to be teaching something like extended side angle, that's one variation. But if you're going to teach it with the bound variation where the upper arm goes behind the back and then the other arm goes under the front leg, that's going to require a lot more external rotation in the shoulders. And you're probably going to want to offer your students a strap. So you can think of joint range of motion as something that makes a pose harder. So a perfect example of that is bridge versus wheel. So if you look at bridge pose, which is a hip extension posture, not so much spinal extension because the spine is pretty neutral, but then you take bridge into wheel. Well, now wheel has spinal extension. So it requires a lot more range of motion in the spine and it requires a lot more hip extension. So it requires a lot more joint range of motion in the hips. So bridge to wheel, that is sort of a, an advanced variation if you're having your students come into wheel. The other pose I think, or postures in general that can be considered a little more advanced are poses that require a higher degree of balance. So as soon as you have your students stand on one leg, that's going to require more skill. And it's also going to require more integrated strength. It's also going to require more proprioception, which is a nervous system function. And it's also going to require more balance, which is also a nervous system function as well as a muscular function. So if you think about uh, poses like half moon, dancer's pose, variations of dancer's pose with a strap, uh, crow pose. These are postures, even warrior three to a certain extent. These are postures that you can consider a little bit more advanced, but they are somewhat still accessible and you can definitely offer modifications. But just in general, those are some balancing postures that you could consider uh, more advanced. There are a couple of other ones. I mean, you could even sort of think of low push-up as an advanced variation, but we do it so often. It's oftentimes not thought like that. But I would think 
crow in general would probably be in the, in the bucket of what a lot of people would consider a challenging posture. And to that end, the other thing I'll say, and this will be a little hard to describe on audio only, but I'll just give it a give it a shot. As you have your students come into um, pro pose, if you have them do it in a somewhat static way, kind of trying to stick the landing, it can be a little bit harder than if you have them come into it in a dynamic way. So if you have them come into a low squat, like a balas like a yogi squat, and then set their hands on the ground, just have them rock up and back. So rock knees to elbows and then feet to the floor, rock knees to elbows, feet to the floor. So they're sort of rocking forward to back. And then over a period of maybe two or three rock and rolls back and forth, see if they can then kind of hold for an extra second or two when the knees are on the arms and just hold in the pose. This dynamic entry of getting into the posture might give your students a greater chance of coming into the pose rather than in a somewhat static way, coming down close to the ground in a low squat, squat, setting the hands on the ground, and then putting the knees up onto the upper arms. That can be a little bit hard for people to get into. So that sort of leads me to another thing, which, which is around transitions. You can use transitions as a way to add complexity and challenge to your sequences. So one of the ways that I love to do that is I might teach half moon in isolation, but then I might stick half moon into some sort of flow. So maybe taking them from warrior two to, uh, to reverse warrior, and then right down into half moon from reverse warrior. So in that sort of sequence, people will get a chance to work a whole bunch of both muscular and nervous system skills and half moon is kind of the pose. So that might be a way to take a pose that's fairly accessible and then you're putting it into a sequence and that might make it harder. So those are some ideas there for that. The next question has to do with modifications and you know, I think in general, there are two ways that I like to talk about modifications in terms of what are general things you can do to modify poses. So general things you can do is you can use um, uh, stability and base as a feature of modification. So for instance, if I teach warrior one and I have people on a narrow stance versus if I teach warrior one and I have them with a wider stance, the wider stance is basically the modified version because the base is more stable. The same goes for something like crescent lunge. Now crescent lunge, it's sort of baked in to have a wider stance, but I could even take it wider and create more stability, and that in and of itself can be a modification. The other general modification is shorter is steadier and longer is not. So if I, again, take warrior one and I shorten the stance, that's a modification that sort of regresses the pose. So it makes it easier for people to do versus if I take warrior one and I have the person slide their front foot forward a lot, that's gonna ask for more flexibility. So that's going to be the harder variation. That also speaks to the idea of, again, range of motion. So range of motion is another feature of every pose 
And it is a feature that you can play with when it comes to modification. So I gave the example before of extended side angle, taking it to the arm behind the back, taking it to the double bind. So with each variation there, I've progressed the pose from the standard version, up a level, and then up another level. In every one of those levels, there's more range of motion that's required. So if I want to just generally modify poses, I'm not going to take people to those advanced variations that ask for a more range of motion. And that in and of itself is gonna check the box in terms of a modification. Now, of course, there are standard things like if people are in crescent lunge, you can have them drop the knee. If people are in uh, side plank, you can have them drop the knee. You can have them do a uh, bridge instead of wheel. You could have them do low cobra instead of up dog. Like, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with these sorts of things. The other uh, modification I wanted to just throw out in case you hadn't thought about it is in moving people from high to low push up, instead of having them put their knees down, which is the general modification for low push up, you could have them lower all the way to the floor slowly and in integrity, meaning it's not just flopping to the ground, it's slowly lowering and then coming into up dog from the ground. So that's a that's an idea there. I would say in general, think about as you're offering modifications, just offer them out. You don't have to, I mean, again, this is up to you, but don't feel like you have to point out a particular student, call out a particular person, just offer something. And if people wanna take advantage of it, they'll take advantage of it. Um, the other thing that is helpful to do is if you're teaching, um, if you have a pose coming up in your sequence and you know that it's common for people to want a variation or need a variation, offer it anyway, just like in anticipation. Don't wait for someone to look like they need the modification. Just offer the variation, the modification as part of the pose. And that way you're sort of anticipating this is a pose that I have coming up in the sequence. It's something that people sometimes have trouble with. So I'm just going to include the modification in the cues as if it's just baked in there. All right. So that's that question. Um, the next question is, how can I create a balanced sequence for my class? So this sort of speaks to sequencing technique. And I know there are a couple different ones out there. I know that a lot of times people talk about a peak pose. You don't have to have a peak pose. If you want to have a peak pose, great, have a peak pose. You don't need to have a peak pose. That's just one methodology around creating a sequence. The idea of balance in a yoga sequence really just speaks to covering all different aspects of movement. And we can look at it through the lens of anatomy when we can say we want sagittal plane movement, we want transverse plane movement, and we want frontal plane movement. And interestingly, we don't actually do a lot of side to side movements in uh, yoga practice. We do a lot of front to back. So a lot of that sagittal plane movement. And so it's good to kind of move in that frontal plane and do maybe some side to side lunges. Um, there's some variations of that a little bit harder to explain over, over the audio only, but just keep in mind when we look at a balanced yoga sequence, we're looking for movements in all of these planes of the body. Now, the good thing about even just a basic yoga flow is for the most part, you're going to be able to check all those boxes in a basic yoga flow. Just think about, you know, taking people through some sort of warm up taking people through, you know, whatever the chunks are of your sequence 
And if we're talking about kind of a general flow class, you're going to take people through a whole variety of sections of the sequence and each section is going to have a handful of postures. Now, again, you know, you might be teaching restorative, your class uh, sequence might have a particular anatomical theme. So that would take precedence over, you know, going through all the different sections of the sequence that might be present if you were just teaching a general class. I think the idea here is, you know, to give someone a balanced experience means that you are taking them through a progression that makes sense. Uh, and you can look at it through the lens of anatomy. You can look at it through the lens of energetics. It's really both. And you also want to have some balance when it comes to kind of silent time as well as speaking time. And that gets a little bit more to the cues that you use and the style of cueing you use. You know, keep in mind, in my methodology, I teach four types of cues, action, alignment, anatomy, and somatic. And I teach frameworks for these cues. So you might be going in and primarily speaking to action and then peppering anatomy-based cues in there and then leaning more into the somatic cues towards the end of the sequence. So I teach a very specific framework that's grounded in helping you be confident in how you share your cues and helping you share cues from a place where you're sharing from what you know, rather than being a repeater and repeating other things that you were told to say. Okay, so that's that question. And then the next question, the, the, the last three questions I wanted to go over have to do with um, self-care for yoga teachers. And I think this is an important topic that doesn't get a lot of press. And, you know, a lot of what I talk about, especially even in this episode, when we were talking at the beginning about the confidence piece, make no mistake about it. Helping you feel more confident is an act in self-care because when you feel empowered as a yoga teacher, when you feel confident as a yoga teacher, you are taking care of yourself. Like all of those behaviors that I described at the beginning of this episode around giving your power away, when you give your power away, you are basically putting yourself second. And I don't mean in a way like a mom puts themselves second to their children. I mean, you're putting yourself second, like you're putting yourself down. And so one of the greatest acts of self-care that you can give yourself is to do things that help you feel more confident and empowered when you teach. And that's why a huge part of my program is around mindset, better mindset, getting to a better mindset, which leads to greater confidence and empowerment. Because I know that when yoga teachers feel empowered and confident, that is a way that they feel like they're caring for themselves. I mean, you know, across the board, every yoga teacher I worked with had when they began working with me, a really strong inner critic. That part of you that says at the end of class, oh, you fucked this up, or oh, you didn't do a good job, or you know, who do you think you are? Or that part of you that's the inner critic when you're driving to the class that's saying, you're not good enough, or oh my God, they're not gonna like this. You better change your sequence at the last minute. Like that inner critic is trying to you know, basically kill your desire to care for yourself. And a lot of times we listen to that inner critic because it's louder than the part of us that wants to be compassionate towards ourselves. And so, you know, that's why 
it's kind of hard for me to be objective, of course, but that's why I'm such a huge proponent of my program and why I'm so committed to getting it out there to as many teachers as possible, because I know that it's like a gift that teachers give themselves to tap into. How do I feel more empowered and confident when I teach? So self-care is absolutely a, a high priority for me, not only for myself as a teacher, but in the teachers that I work with, helping them thrive and build that sense of self-care for themselves. So this question here, what are some self-care practices for yoga teachers? I'm gonna tell you one of the number one things you can do to give yourself greater self-care as a teacher. And that is instead of practicing the sequences that you're going to be teaching as a way for prepping for your classes, give yourself your practice back. You know, so many teachers I talk to are over-preparing for their classes. And that looks like writing out their cues, practicing their sequence at home multiple times before they go into the studio to teach it. Now, I'm not saying, please don't take me the wrong way here. I'm not saying this is a bad thing to do. There's nuance in there. All I'm simply saying is I want you to continue to, and if you lost this, I want you to get back to it, looking at your practice as a self-care tool for you, not just something that you're now doing to prepare for your classes. You know, think about before you started teaching yoga, you probably had a whole ritual around going to yoga class and how you approached your practice and the love you had when you got on your mat. And now that you're a yoga teacher, you might feel like, oh, every time I get on the yoga mat at home or every time I go to the studio to practice, it's practicing for teaching. You know, many teachers tell me when they go to take class, they're in this mode of, you know, sort of, experiencing the teacher teaching the class and in their head they're comparing themselves to how they teach you know so or they might even be hearing the cues the person's using and thinking oh I should be using those cues or why you know wow she seems like she really knows what she's doing so now your whole somatic experience of practice has been hijacked by that part of you that's the inner critic and it's like no you need to be empowered and take your practice back for what it's meant to be, which is a self-care tool to help you be a better person, to help you have a better relationship with yourself, to help, help you have inner peace. All the things that you wanted to tap into when you started practicing yoga that you lose when you just continue to use your practice as a tool to help you be in your mind a better teacher. I mean, that's why I say to teachers who are practicing with their class, you need to break up, not you need to, think about what would be available to you if you broke up with your practice as the source of your cues. Instead of saying, I need to practice with my class because that's how I know what to say, I want you to imagine what if you didn't practice with your class and you knew what to say because it was coming from knowledge, it was coming from a technique of cueing that allowed you to leverage what you knew so that you didn't have to practice with your class. And now you get to walk around, you get to do the walk and talk, you get to interact with your students in a nonverbal way and you get to see them, you get to see them react to your cues. There's so much more available to you and you get your practice back as a self-care tool. So that's number one. Number two, another self-care tool is to tell that inner critic not today. I am not 
listening to you today. Like literally say it out loud. When that inner critic raises her head, just say, not now. I'm getting ready to go in and teach. You can squawk all you want, but I'm not listening to you. Like you can do that. And you can decide if you're going to listen to the inner critic or not. And so that is another technique you can use for self-care. And then there's all the other things, you know, meditate regularly, journal regularly, listen to Abraham Hicks, read good books. You know, uh, I've been on an Abraham Hicks tear lately. And if you haven't tapped into any of um, the lessons of Abraham Hicks, I would highly recommend just go on TikTok, um, go on YouTube and just type in Abraham Hicks. There's a whole story behind it I won't go into, but it's just some of the most powerful, self-affirming, positive mindset thoughts. I'm currently reading a book by Carol Dweck, Carol Dweck who's a, a neuroscientist at Stanford on positive mindset. I can give you so many book recommendations. Um, honestly, investing in your mindset is one of the best things you can do in terms of an act of self-care. And again, just another pitch for my program, a big, huge part of my program is around mindset. And it's informed by neuroscience, neuro-linguistic programming, my own background in working with people in a, in a clinical setting, in a counseling role, which I did years ago when I was a social worker. So it's not hocus pocus, hocus pocus. It is grounded in science and the work that I do with teachers in the mindset space absolutely is not therapy. It is 100% just listening to you, reflecting back what you say and helping you hear other opportunities for you to think about things differently, which empower you to go in and experiment with different ways of showing up in your classes. And in that experimentation, you actually bust your own beliefs because believe you me, the beliefs that you have drive what you do. And until we bring those beliefs to the surface, we will just constantly be giving our power away, constantly be feeling like, you know, the, the tail is wagging the dog. And I want you to be at cause. I want you to be the kind of yoga teacher who is going into the classroom, doing what you want to do so that you can show up in a, in a confident and authentic way. Um, the other thing is, I'm just looking on here. This other question I had was, how can I overcome burnout and maintain passion for teaching? I'm not really going to go into that one now, because honestly, if you're at the point of burnout, um, we should have been talking months ago. I don't think a lot of the teachers who listen to my podcast are in the burnout phase. I think a lot, and you can tell me where you're at. If you are in the burnout phase, send me a DM on Instagram and let me know, and I'll, I'll do a one-on-one -on -one with you. Um, I think really more what I see is, again, just this, this lack of confidence driving either how teachers are approaching their classes or why they're avoiding teaching classes, teaching more classes, using their own voice. I mean, that's really more of what I see. So I hope that you found this one helpful. This was kind of a blend of a whole bunch of different things. You know, here we are at the beginning of the new year. It's such an opportunity. I can't emphasize this enough, such an opportunity for you to really step into this year in a powerful way and show up in a way that is just the way you want to and to not be driven by any outside influences. And when you 100% believe that, 
your teaching will shift in a way that is just beyond your wildest dreams. So spend the next couple of days before we get too far into the first week of the new year, just meditating on how do you see yourself teaching? What do you want for yourself as a teacher? What do you imagine? What do you envision as like the highest way that you can show up for people? And what do you want to create? You know, what does it look like? What are the details that come up for you? I would love, love, love to hear anything that comes to mind. So send me a DM on Instagram and let me know. And don't forget about the Empowerment Club. I'd love to have you join. When you send me the uh, note on Instagram to join, I'll send you the link to the Facebook group, which is the access point for the club. And there's three application questions you'll fill out. It is really primarily for teachers who are actively teaching classes versus people in teacher training. So I want to really make that distinction. And, um, and I would love to, I would love to have you join. So with that, we will wrap this episode up. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode for um, next episode of conversations for yoga teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the end and I'll see you on the next episode. Namaste. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And as a special thanks, DM me the words podcast offer, and I'll share with you a special opportunity for yoga teachers who are ready to be confident and skilled and drop all that prep time, drop practicing with class, drop using the same cues over and over, and drop worrying what other people think. If this is you and you're ready to step into your most powerful, authentic way of teaching, DM me the words podcast offer on my Instagram, Bare Bones Yoga.